Hello and welcome back to The Truth About Local Government. Today we are going to be discussing the housing system and from the news you'll have seen the housing system fundamentally is broken um, and to talk about this topic today and the consequences of that we've got Chris Brook uh, who's a director of place and enterprise at Southam District Council and West Devon Borough Council. Chris thank you so much for coming on the podcast how are you? I'm good thanks Matt lovely to be here. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Before we get into discussing the topic, can you give the listeners at home a bit of context as to what your position is as Director of Place and Enterprise at the Council? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously I sit amongst our senior leadership team uh, under our chief executive and, you know, collectively we try to span the breadth of services that the councils offer. And of course, they're very wide ranging um, and my particular kind of area. So the stuff that I tackle on a, just on a day to day basis um, is an eclectic mix of services, as is often the case. So we've got everything from a harbour authority down in Solcombe, which is something I, um, that's probably my little bit of fun because I really enjoy, uh, you know, trying to make sure that works well and it generally does. Uh, we have a, a car ferry that we run. So that's sort of another area of um, an unusual service delivery. And then we have some more traditional council services. So we have an environmental health team. Uh, I've got the housing team. I've got our assets team. So all of the land and property that we own. Uh, and some of our commercial investments sort of sit in that area. Uh, and then I uh, also am involved with um, strategic planning and a, a sort of development management, so a kind of delivery element of planning as well, but quite specific in its geography around uh, the Plymouth Fringe, um, something that we'll probably come on to later. So, yeah, it's um, some of those services dovetail together really well, and others just really don't. And that's the, that's the the life of a, a director in local government you know one minute you're dealing with something about a boat that doesn't float and the next minute you're trying to solve some strategic planning issues that might have a tangible difference uh, in 30 years time to the place in which we live in so uh, yeah keeps me busy i think one of the bits around that is it's not housing is not just the issues with the housing system it's not just a silo and to fix it can't require you to fix one aspect of it it is a a fundamental shift in the entire um the entire system but let's get into what the council's role is so within Plymouth and you can we talk about your joint local plan and plan-led housing how does that work at the council what's the council's role yeah so um all councils are required by government to have a local plan and um more often than not so not all not all councils actually make that bar and if they don't there are consequences in how how well they are able to um control development that comes forward through you know traditional planning applications so the, the if you have a spatial plan a local plan then it means the council has taken a long hard look at the evidence base applied um, the metrics that government mandate you have to apply around how many new houses you'll need in the next plan period so the next 10 years or so um, and then uh, looked at where they might go in a sustainable way so you're looking at all the different factors that influence those sorts of outcomes um, so that's what most councils do but what um, Southam's West Devon and Plymouth decided to do was recognize that our geography can't be split out and treated as a single entity because that's not how people work so if I live in Plymouth I might play in Southam's and if I live in Southam's I might work in Plymouth and every variation of you know of that um, so having a spatial planning policy that doesn't consider the fact that the infrastructure that takes people from West Devon into Plymouth or the train line or the housing in and the employment sites um, they, they people don't reflect um, administrative boundaries so we took the decision to integrate our planning uh, at a strategic level and so we have what's called a joint local plan and there's about 16 of those nationally so they're quite rare 
you've got 300 plus councils um and in doing that we feel we hope that we have um provided a much more coherent strategy for for delivery across that region than we would have done if we'd worked independently yesterday i had the md of uh, ypo on and he was talking about the new procurement bill coming through and how fundamentally for its utilization to maximize the benefit of it we have to collaborate more as a public sector and as a local authority space and it's fantastic to see that because for those listening at home the local plan is incredibly hard to get through it takes a very long time but i think the fact that you're so joined up it's it's exactly the way to to achieve that and what what effect has that had in terms of your delivery record against that um yeah actually i will answer your question but going back to the join up bit i couldn't agree more it's it's absolutely um like if we don't as councils talk to our nearest neighbours then I think we're all missing a trick so I think we owe it to our residents and our communities to think beyond our boundaries and not get caught up in the kind of minutiae that it, you can very quickly become an echo chamber of yourself so you've got to be looking up and out to support your councillors but also to support your residents so so yes it does come with peril and um, you know we live in a democratic system so you know it won't be unnoticed that that Plymouth are Labour and South Hams are Lib Dem and then they're independent in West Devon Borough Council. So we've got different politics. So as officers, we have to work quite hard to find the areas of um, where all of those politicians can coalesce. So they they share much more. 95% of everything everyone agrees on is the 5% that they differ on. So you just got to work that little bit harder to think about the political angles as well as the kind of real genuine challenges of, of good planning, good plan making and, and housing delivery. But, um, uh, our plan is actually coming up for um, renewal and so um, I'm actually in conversation with with my colleagues at Plymouth both politically and uh, an officer level to just work out whether or not we're going to do it again and if we are how we'll do it and on what basis and I can promise you those conversations won't be without some tension because there'll be some things that Plymouth will want to do that if they do it will be good for them but will have an implication on South Hams and vice versa and the management structures and who pays for who you know I'm not saying we all just jump out of bed every morning give each other a big hug and it's all it's all roses because it isn't always but I think the point of a partnership is that you have to work hard and you have to develop trust and that's the real currency of partnership working and I think that's what we've done so I foresee there being some some bumps in the road but I'm sure the road will ultimately lead to a, a better place is the plan and just going, you, going into that as well because I've, I, you know before we jump onto the delivery piece trust and building that collaborative ability you know is so necessary because at the moment and the, the backdrop is to it is that there is ever more challenges and you're being asked to do ever more with with increasingly less resource and also as you said there your plan might make perfect sense within the confines of your boundary but that's not how life works not how society works obviously people move in and out of boundaries freely you know so it has to make sense as a broader uh obviously a, a broader kind of collective of local plan um on the the, politi- the political side, one of the things that's really struck me over the, since we started this podcast, when I've spoken to leaders and I've spoken to chief executives and directors like yourself, is that local government politics, for me, doesn't feel as uh, tribal as central government. It's more about delivering for the people that live in that area. Um, and so, you know, like you said, there, there seems to be less kind of area of contention. And, you know, how do you stop, though, the local plan becoming a political football? Yeah, it does. It does. I suppose it does run that risk. Um, and ultimately, you know, there is no quick fix and there's no magic bullet to it. It's just called hard work. So you have to be really clear about what's important to 
you know, your area. So you have to, it's incumbent on you as the local authority and the officers responsible to really understand your area, really understand your communities. Um, and the assumption would be, of course, that Plymouth would know theirs, and of course they would. So you're starting from a position of, of understanding, and, and then you have to articulate, you know, why the bits that you're saying are important are important, and the consequences of them not happening, and listening in a rational way. And likewise, Plymouth will say, you know, there'll be some, I can think of, and I won't mention them, but I can think of some controversial planning policy stuff that might come forward in the next review of the plan. And it'll be a political decision often as to whether they want to do one thing or another. And there are consequences. But I think, again, as long as you're clear with your partners, then you can usually find a compromise. And it, the, the whole point is we're all in that space because we all want it to work because we know that it will be better if we do it together. Definitely. In, in lots of ways, it'll be better for the residents. It'll be easier to manage. Um, we will be able to look whichever government is in charge in the next you know, 18 months, year in the eye and say, you asked us to do this. We've done it. And some we've gone the extra mile because we know it's the right thing. Therefore, you need to come and help us deliver this for our community. So, you know, it's a really good springboard to further engagement with government, um, trying to get Homes England to come and you know, support with the delivery of affordable homes, for example, or um, you know, the Freeport, which is a uh, was a conservative policy, and some people don't don't like it, but it's an economic intervention. The reason why that Freeport bid for Plymouth and South Devon was successful was because we have a joint local plan. Plymouth's team recognised the benefits of the Freeport, but realised they didn't have land within Plymouth that could provide the space for the employment that was needed. But we have got it and because we're integrated and we've got shared strategies we quickly coalesced around a vision for a free port that was across boundaries so um if you start with one thing and it happens to be the joint local plan you then succeed in other areas um and we've got it as well with uh, devon county council who are part of that free port uh, where we've we've led a bid to get government funding to deliver a new train station in oakhampton um and uh that's devon county council are our sort of our partner in that and we're going to work with network rail and together we'll deliver this new station so appreciate today's about housing but it's just an example where as long as you take the right approach and you collaborate with your partners i think you know it's not quite the sky's the limit but certainly you have a much better chance of seizing and securing opportunities for your area absolutely i completely agree with everything you just said there around collaboration kind of leading to greater opportunities and outputs but going back now to the delivery record against the local plan how has how has you know southwest you know, Devon done. Yeah, well, um, very pleased to say really well. So um, you might have heard and your listeners will be aware of um, the kind of five year land supply as a, as a term that comes up. And essentially what that is, is if you can't demonstrate that there's sufficient land available for the next five years worth of housing growth, then your plans start to get a little bit wobbly when it comes to individual planning decisions that are taken uh, at DM. And in, if that is the case, then essentially you run the risk that uh, a developer who's got some land that isn't allocated in your plan can come forward with 50 homes and go, we're going to build that and you can't stop us because you haven't got a five year land supply. Now, I've oversimplified, but it makes a point. Um, so we have. To, so that's one of the key metrics and, and we have hit uh, that target year on year on year. We're nearer to six years rather than five. Um, and wow. we also have KPIs around, you know, housing delivery targets, which we smashed and the delivery of our affordable homes is broadly, broadly on policy. Um, and what was actually interesting about that is in the early years of the joint local plan, Plymouth, Plymouth area delivered loads of homes, but we count them across the whole and Southampton West Devon delivered far less. 
Um, and now Southampton, West Devon are delivering a lot more homes and Plymouth are delivering a few less. But the whole point being, again, because we're measured as one, because we're thinking as one, that hasn't created an issue for either party that otherwise would have been a problem. So, you know, it 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 works in that regard. So if you look at what does government ask us to measure against, um, are we succeeding? Absolutely, we are. Now, one of the bits that we can't get away from is the cost of housing for communities that we look after throughout the country. How hard is that to deliver affordable homes to the communities within the area that you look after? Yeah, and, and this is it. Because, you know, theoretically, we're delivering everything we say we should have, should have done. Government is coming along going, well done, great work. And yet, when it comes to that point, can our communities, can the people who uh, work hard and live in Devon um, afford to buy a house? Uh, the answer is no, they absolutely can't. So average salaries in Devon are like £32,000 a year. Average house prices are about 13 times that. It's... Is that, second, is that second homeowner or is that why why is there such a uh, disparity between those two um it is a it's a really complicated picture and and actually there's an interesting program on telly last night but but second homes are part of it so it's demand and supply if you know if um a property it has a view of the sea and it's in a coastal community and everyone's gone on holiday there all their life and they they live somewhere maybe in london and they have a really well-paid job you know why wouldn't they want to buy a house down in Solcombe or you know down on the coast that's that's sort of a right of the British people isn't it if you succeed you can and so that's fundamentally baked in and there are there's only a finite number of properties because it's not like there's huge cities on the sea well Plymouth is the one exception of course but you know in South Hams um, so it's demand and supply there's only a few number of properties um, planning regulations mean that we we're not about to build huge new settlements on the coast um, but there are many more metrics as well. So the way the planning system works and the way the house builders work is they drip freed property onto the market in such a way that it never quite um, fills the demand because if it did, property prices would uh, well, level off possibly or if they, over, if they flood the market, then they'll drop. So um, there's a lack of housing supply that is of the right tenure. Then there's government changes to the to um, to landlords so private sector landlords have had a rough time of it it's been um, it's been they've been used as a bit of a political football which is it's terrible and they're all awful and their their properties are in poor condition and the tenants that are living there are being overcharged and being delivered a really bad service now there that's the government position there, there are examples of that for sure and you know the local councils have a role to play in enforcing standards in rented private rented accommodation and, and we do that but most landlords aren't like that. Most landlords, uh, you know, they do it because that's there's been no in, there's been no inflation and no interest rates for the last ten years. And one of the few places where you can derive a return from your investments is in assets. So much bigger economic metrics have pushed cash into places, and um, that have meant that you know the housing market is 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 distorted. It's it's used as an investment vehicle by lots of people. Um, and then that, that's now coming home to roost because the legislative changes have meant that it's not very appealing to be a landlord anymore. So they're now selling these properties. These properties are sold on um, to to people that don't necessarily want to use them as first homes. So there's no increase in supply uh, in the rented market. Um, rented Rents are very, very high and the amount of money you're able to get to support your rent if you're uh, if you take universal credit has not changed in the last four years so rent the rental market private sector rental market's gone up by uh, like 10 percent year on year 
for the last four years. And yet the amount the government gives you if you if your rent is, you know, if you're on universal credit hasn't changed. So the available housing stock that you as a person in need, who might you might be earning, you know, a, a really good salary in, in effect, uh, certainly close to the average salary in the area. And you, there's no chance you'll ever be able to afford to buy a house. And yet there's also no chance you can afford to rent one. So what are the consequences then? So of this, what, what are the consequences of this kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place scenario that people find themselves stuck in? Yeah, it's it's really sad. And so we have a we have a uh, an obligation to assist when people become homeless, which is the ultimate thing that happens. You know, if they can't afford their rent, they get kicked out. Um, and we and, and we do and we take that incredibly seriously. Uh, that is, you know, that is when people need the council the most from a home from a homeless perspective, and we're there for them, um, and we provide temporary accommodation for them. But that temporary accommodation is is often suboptimal from their perspective. They might be in a and b um, you know, they might not be very close to where they would want to be. So there's a there's a limited availability of B and B as well. So whilst we do provide that service, I wouldn't want to have to particularly be in that position. And I'm sure the people that I'm sure the people are very grateful for the support, but they don't want to be there either. You know, and what we're seeing is that people are spending longer in temporary accommodation and that the cost of temporary accommodation is going up. So we're, our, the cost to the council has sort of doubled in the last couple of years. And, and that is the kind of single most worrying metric, because basically when the council has to step in to help people, and they will want us to be helped by a council, do they? Everybody wants to stand on their own two feet, let's be honest. So if they're coming to us for help, it's because they really need it. So what we're seeing is a housing market where we're not seeing enough affordable homes delivered because of the, of the kind of profit element that's baked in, because the planning system allows land value to be um, very, very high because lots of land is banked. Then we've got a lack of affordable rented and less of it. And fundamentally, that means in the absence of everyone's salary going up, which it's not, um, people are being evicted and we're having to support them. So, um, you know, it's kind of quite sad, really, when you when you think of it like that, because most of the time when we talk about housing, we think, oh, well, it's I'll buy a three bed, not a four bed. But there are real people working really hard, you know, living in the communities that we would all know and understand, and they can't afford to live there. And that's a sad thing. So are there solutions to this, do you feel? Um, there are. And I think we have a we have a hand to play. And I think government has a big hand to play as well. So uh, our, we have been doing quite a lot of lobbying work with government. So there's a really good example of the um, levelling up bill that's gone through the House of Commons. It's gone to the Lords. It's come back for its final kind of hearing and it's going to get royal assent quite soon, we believe. Now, that contains some quite powerful changes to um, council tax. Um, we, we lobbied for this along with many other rural um, councils, so I'm really delighted that it's been um, included. And the proposal is to implement 100% uplift on second homes in terms of council tax. Uh, and we were, there is something called the, the Devon Housing Task Force, and that's led by Lord Best. And we've been engaging with that and the leader of West Devon Borough Council is on it and the ex-leader of Southampton District Council is also on it. So, you know, we're, we're really looking at it at a Devon level. Um, and we were discussing this with Lord Beston and he said, well, the, the idea, the, the, the concept behind that was that the housing authorities would get the additional income from that so that they can then take active intervention into the market. So whether that's buying up properties so that they can rent them or, or building new ones. Interestingly enough, we've looked at the legislation and we're not sure that it's actually going to deliver on that um, because it, what it doesn't do is specifically ring fence the money for housing authorities. Um, right. So if you're, uh, to explain that, if you're a unitary council, that's fine because you are the housing authority as well as everything else, so you'll get the money. 
where you have a two-tier system such as in Devon where Devon County Council are one authority and we are a second-tier authority um, we're the housing authority so we're the ones that uh, have the temporary accommodation costs uh, are the planning authority and should be acting in this space um, but the majority of council tax goes to um, the county council understandably so normally but here where it's an additional levy and it, we're talking about millions of pounds a year that could be used to start influencing at a community level or building homes um, so we have written uh, via our MPs to say please please can you just think about ensuring the legislation is changed specifically so that the money is ring fenced for housing authorities so if you're listening anti Magnol good luck <laughs> why is it that it's so difficult for legislation to actually meet the requirements of organizations like yours like what what because what, what you just said there makes complete sense and I can't fathom a reason why that wouldn't happen so why is it that you know you have to you know you have to kind of uh, uh, you know really challenge the the central government to get that right? Surely their 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 understanding as it is when they're making legislation that that is something that needs to be sorted. Well, I think they um, I think the bottom line is it's really really complicated stuff. So you need to really understand a whole wide raft of legislation. So the the leveling up bill you know spans a great many things. Um, and it's kind of like a layer on top. It's a bit of icing on top of the cake, but they're actually relying on lots and lots of other legislation around council tax to receive the money. Um, so what we, uh, so I guess, you know, it's understandable. It's complicated stuff, but we've, we've read through it and suggested they just need to make a very small change that hopefully they'll make and then that money will be available. But that's just one example of kind of lobbying, working with national government, and, and we do that and all councils should and do do that. Um, I think also, uh, the other the other things we're doing proactively so we're about to crystallize what the um, offer for the communities might be if they want to bring forward home homes in their own kind of area so you have two types of housing really you have plan-led housing started that joint local plan and then the big developers come in all that normal stuff and um, where we try to get as many affordable houses as possible but we don't always succeed and then there's what what you kind of call exception sites where a community might decide that they actually are quite prepared to see some development um, in their back garden of a community-led scheme so they'll know the land or the, the landowners the landowners are often quite altruistic when you ask them so they might be prepared to sell a field for you know ten thousand pounds per plot of house that goes on it which is something some money but it's nothing like the amount of money they'd get for that field if it was allocated through a plan-led system um, but because they're prepared to work in that way with their communities um, and the community's uh, can acquire the land for less we have uh, a planning policy that would allow them potentially to bring forward a site that wouldn't get planning normally so if it has community support and it's and it's moving in the right direction because of that approach then we can try and create a policy that allows that to be developed we got that policy but what we find is that communities you know building building homes is complicated stuff that's why there's huge PLCs that do it that make profit out of it it's not that easy and anyone that's I don't know, built an extension on the side of the house will know that how fraught getting planning was and, and how doing the construction is tricky. So trying to build 10 homes on a sloping field in your community is not easy either. Um, so I think what so the council is going to create um, a very clear kind of roadmap for those communities so they can start at the top and they'll know the steps and we will support them with that. So, for example, you know, we'll put some money and some time available from some professionals in that space to give guidance on the types of land that would be appropriate and then do some early appraisals on whether that land can be viable we'll help put them in touch with delivery partners so um 
registered providers of, of affordable homes can help come and actually do the construction and give them the designs of the houses. Um, so that's another example, really. It's about empowering our communities to solve some of the problems themselves. And I think there will be appetite for that. It, it, I think you've seen that across the board, isn't it? We talked about collaboration earlier with Plymouth collaborating and creating partnerships within your own community and encouraging you know these would you classify them as exception sites is that a fair yeah fair yeah kind of... that's right now in, obviously that's one aspect to it in terms of engaging and stimulating private sector investment into schemes and getting them built out how do you do that what what's the strategies you can do as a council well i think that as um I think you've got two different challenges where where you have urban and brownfield sites that you have in Plymouth, then that question is exactly right. How do you get someone to come here and work in a what is a constrained site with potentially contamination? Um, access is tricky. Land values are not as high and construction costs are higher. And then you can only ever sell the units for you know whatever the going market is in, in Plymouth. And then actually in Southampton, West Devon, where it's basically green fields, it's the opposite. Um, you, you could, can't fight them off with a stick. They're, you know, that's how the big PLCs make all their money by by prioritising the delivery on greenfield sites because it's really cheap to do, it's really easy, um, and they make a lot of profit from it, like 25, 27% profit. Wow, that is some uh, quite substantial profit margins there. Um, so it's a real challenge then. But I think, you know what, what's exciting what for myself is, yes, there is a, a, a problem. and It's obvious that there's a problem with the housing market. but And there are real consequences to real people in the communities. But there are solutions to it. And there are things that yourself and your council are doing. And from the sounds of it, other councils as well are trying to really tackle this problem head on. Because, you know, it's one of the most important things is that someone can have somewhere safe to live where they can be part of a community. Yeah, that's right, Matt. And, and I remain optimistic. Whilst this sounds like it's all been, you know, doom and gloom. I don't think it is. I just think I think we need to ha make sure it continues to be at the top of the political agenda nationally and locally. Um, I think we need to be brave and think outside the box and um, really kind of really come up with as many as many different options as possible that aren't going to require, you know, like legal changes or, you know, I just I just think together we can we can really tackle it. And and that's that's what our commitment is. And I'm pretty sure most other councils are kind of thinking in that space. For me, when we've got leaders like yourself with passion, with optimism and with a real plan, that's how we get things to happen. So, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I generally have enjoyed our conversation. I think we've covered a huge amount of ground in a short period of time. So thank you for your for your time and input. It's really appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for the chat. You've been listening to The Truth About Local Government. Today, we've been talking about the housing crisis, the consequences and the solutions with Chris Brook, Director of Place and Enterprise um, at, at uh, Southampton West Devon Borough Council um, on the South Coast, a beautiful part of the world. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give it a five star review, give it a like, give it a share and please sign back in for episodes later in the week.